listening to the house of mercy on the water's edge was a man who met the savior so the gospel said waiting there he was with the lepers and the lame till an angel it was told down from heaven came folks tuned in from all around near and far just to listen to house of mercy waiting for the waters to stir we're just listening to the house of mercy waiting for the waters to stir. The weeks before Christmas, we're on the cusp of a miracle. It's all hope and anticipation but this week we're on the downward slope of the other side where it is possible for us to have not gotten what we had hoped for. Hey, podcast listeners. Welcome to the House Mercy Podcast. We're glad you're here. I hope you had some good moments over Christmas. Uh, yeah, some a little bit of cheer in your holiday. You know, if there's some sadness too, that's all right, but glad you're listening now. Yeah, so... Uh... Yeah, here we are, Sunday after Christmas, just uh, a few more days till the end of 2020. Um, but yeah, so there's a little bit, there's always a little bit of letdown. I mean, you know, actually, traditionally, the Sunday after Christmas is the least attended Sunday in, uh, in the church year. And I don't know if you can hear... Uh, things sound a little different because I'm actually recording in the sanctuary. And um, I think we might set a record this year. There's not one other single person here. <laughs> not one? Not one. Not one other person. Completely empty sanctuary. Yeah, that's what it's like, yeah. So, but I'm good. It's, I'm glad to be in here and think of uh, what it will be like to have everybody back someday. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Yeah, just anywhere. Actually, it doesn't even have to be here. But uh, <laughs> we all get together. Hey, what? I thought it was a great pageant last week. I, I, if you didn't see it, um, you should. You can. There's a link to it on the newsletter. And you can watch. You can actually watch the pa pageant, right? Russell, you can watch it. That's right. So last week we did, uh, in lieu of our traditional pageant, we did... Uh, one for these uh, COVID times, we did a Zoom pageant, and uh, and Brett again wrote another great script. And uh, I think it's the, the all the all the performers were fantastic. I mean, you want to see it just to see Debbie's costume? <laughs> because really, oh, yeah, I love David. Yeah. it was fun. I thought it worked well. Yeah, it was really fun. So. Thank you, Aaron Britt. Oh my gosh, yeah. another amazing script. Yeah. yeah. And you know, if you if you're not signed up for the newsletter, it'll be probably hard to get that. But you can sign up to the newsletter 
by going to houseofmercy.org, and there's a place to sign up right there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, hey, maybe you heard some people talking. We, we sent out an Advent print this year that um, was was great. And um, if you heard people talking about it and you didn't happen to get one, it's only because we didn't have your right address. So if yeah. you missed out on the Advent print and you would like one, just send us your address and we'll send you one. Yeah, it's this great um, uh, wood cut print by our resident liturgical artist, Jim Larson, and uh, it's waiting for the world to begin again. That theme, it's beautiful. It was printed by Sister Black Press. It's a, a signed and additioned print that we sent out to, you know, everybody in the community, Christmas present, just to let you know how much we miss you. And so if you did not get yours, uh, contact info at houseofmercy.org and send us your correct address. Because if we didn't send it to you, that means we didn't have your address. Although there's one of you, sorry, we didn't feel like giving you one. But for everyone else, you know, that person knows who they are. Okay. <laughs> this is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Please join me in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, help us know you're with us, that you are real, that you became flesh and live among us in truth and grace. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. Yeah.
The Sunday after Christmas is for theology. Before Christmas, you don't need it. It isn't necessary. Before Christmas, it's all promise. It is all coming. We're waiting, anticipating. The incarnation, the light entering the darkness. There is hope, hope for the inbreaking of the hope for the world. Peace, love, joy will reign. Justice and love and mercy and hope are entering the world in the unlikely form of a baby. A baby, a tiny vulnerable baby for the world to gather around, to coo at, share a Coke and a smile. Even when every other day of the year has brought some new source of potential hopelessness, some new injustice revealed or perpetrated, a new death toll, when the calendar turns over to the 12th month, if we are in any way inclined, we can lift up our heads a little, give our hearts a little more room to swell, We can breathe in more deeply and exhale long and slow, and we can have a little hope. And this year, our hope is further punctuated with the promise of the tyrant's exit from office and the vaccine. We don't need theology for this great hope. We have so many other things to hang hope on. It's not no deep reflections and understandings are needed. It's just there, present. It doesn't even matter where you are at on the whole belief-religion scale. There's room for everyone in this season. We can hang our hope on traditions. Even if this year we had to find alternative ways to live them out, we can remember going to Grandma's house or the family going out to cut the Christmas tree or buying it at Dairy Queen, the Dairy Queen parking lot, like my family always did. We can remember everyone gathering together, going to Christmas Eve church and then coming home and opening a present, the Christmas pageant, Linus reciting the Christmas story from Luke's Gospel. Even if when you were 15, you were a full goth on Christmas morning, makeup and all, and sat in the corner burning a hole in the back of your dad's head with your scowling stare while he handed out presents, even that brings back warm, fuzzy feelings somehow. Those memories can put you right into that hope-filled holiday spirit. You can hang it on a pagan branch if you want. You can get into the spirit by reminding yourself that all cultures had midwinter festivals that celebrate the hope of a coming distant spring, the hope of new life and growth coming into the world, even if they are now surrounded by cold, dark days. Hang your hope on the solstice, the rotation of the earth around the sun, every day from here forward there is literally more light every day hang your hope on some kind of tony robbins positivity now is the season to put those good thoughts out in the world hope and positivity you can make the hope you need with your mind with your heart put it out there it will come hang it on the general cultural spirit of the season Everyone has a reason to be a little bit more upbeat in their interactions with their neighbor and strangers. With all these different influences pushing toward hope, buoying up the possibility of hope, love, and mercy breaking into the world and overwhelming the darkness and despair, it is easier to look at the Christmas story and think, you know what? There's something there. You can almost believe it.
or at least embrace the spirit of it all. And the number one reason that we have hope before Christmas is the simple fact that it is the season of anticipation, of looking forward. Hope is about what might be. That is all the goodness, the light, the love, and the mercy, the justice, and the world peace. All those things are yet to come. Soft now, my friends and countrymen, for we are on the cusp of a miracle. But this week, this week, we're on the downward slope of the other side, where it's possible for us to have gotten, possible for us to have not gotten what we hoped for. We're left with dishes and recycling overflowing the blue bins, all those Amazon boxes, so many Amazon boxes. And we've got to go back to work and go back to work in the same COVID quarantine rigged up workspace or back to our essential work where in spite of the promise of the vaccine, all precautions remain in place. Infection, hospitalization, and death rates are only slightly reduced. And with warnings of a new surge to come, the tyrant is in full tantrum and a bomb in Music City on Christmas morning this is all more than enough to decelerate whatever cautious momentum of hope you had allowed. More than enough to stall the charitable motivation that overcame you to be intentional about your being forgiving and warm in your interactions with your in-laws, family members, work colleagues, neighbors, and friends, despite what they say or post or irresponsibly repost. That possibility came off with the wrapping paper and now seems incomprehensible. And how much flour, how much flour was sacrificed to create something festive and sweet only to be begrudgingly nibbled by a growingly gluten intolerant people? What has it all wrought? This week, the angels have packed up their instruments the virgin has given birth, the baby's born in God, the stable's mucked out, and the manger is only home to the muzzle of a hungry ass or ox. Last week was about anticipating a miracle. This week we wonder, why? Why what? Why everything? Does this story make sense? Is it even our story to tell? Did our ancestors appropriate it and twist it into a narrative for justifying our people's historically unfolding domination? And of course, the biggie, what happened to the light that entered the world? Where is the peace and the love and the mercy? Not to mention the tyrant's exit from the public stage and the influx of positive reports from the pandemic front. Where are they? It is time for theology. Bring on the theology. The weeks before Christmas are for anticipation and possibility and hope. The week after Christmas is for theology. 
My friend and mentor, the Reverend Dr. Mark Stenberg, always said that at the beginning, of, always said at the beginning of his lectures, of the first lecture of the semester, theology is a secondary act. Humanity's experience with God is primary. Theology is the reflection on that primary experience. First, encounter with the divine. Second, the reflection on that encounter, theology. Experiencing God doesn't need to be like an appearance of an angel like Mary's or an overwhelming light or a disembodied voice. Encountering the divine is most often like being in the moment of love, a swelling gratitude or desire for connection or reconnection, being caught off guard by the beauty of the created world. Theology reflects on those moments, movements, encounters, and ask the questions, what was it that? What did it mean? What do we do as a result of it? Theology seeks to reflect on our human temporal encounter with that which seemingly comes to us from some beyond us. Theology explores those encounters which affect us theological inquiries, questions, and proposes some answers. This week is for theology, because all that we have anticipated was supposed to happen last week. This week we start to ask the question, did it really happen? Does it really make meaning for us in the way that we thought it meant? If this is a counter-narrative, how do we make sense of it, live it out, dig down deeper into it? Is it a mystery worth pursuing? Or what course should we take in its pursuit? Of course, not everyone is thinking these things. There are people for whom these thoughts never occur. And of course, not everyone was able to muster unadulterated anticipatory hope and holiday cheer in the lead-up. People are different. Some folks find hope and joy in the celebration and anticipation, and some folks find hope and pleasure in the reflection on the negative spaces, the pursuit of the questions and inferences between the lines. There are even those people, I am told, who when greeted with the over-the-top, unexamined embrace of contemporary cultural Christmas celebration are struck with despair. And there are those who can much better see the possibility of hope and love and mercy in the confessions of brokenness, who can only believe the light when it is coming through the cracks in a darkened room. This is their Sunday. This is the Sunday for the minimally emotive, introverted, bookish, non-multitaskers, for the very intrigued and slightly amused with the ramifications of a particular once dominant, possibly now waning interpretation of a midwinter ritual. For those of us even who are disappointed that we did not get what we hoped for and wonder why. This week is for theology. The baby is gone, the barn cleaned out. The rich and the mighty remain on their thrones. 
the meek and the mild under their feet. The light has not enlightened all men that they might see the systemic racism and exploitation of labor that fuels our economy. The pandemic has not brought all together in a spirit of sacrifice and cooperation for the common good. So now, let's get to work. And by work, I mean thinking. Let's start thinking about this, about all these things, asking questions, studying closely and vigorously. Even our text for this week is telling us to put away the decorations. Last week, Jesus was a newborn baby. This week, he is 12 years old. It's such a weird story to include and to give so much real estate. Eleven verses. Jesus' baptism in Luke gets two verses. His birth, seven. Why are we here so quickly? This Sunday after Christmas, and we've missed the Messiah's whole childhood. The Sunday after Christmas, and he is already 12. Clearly, this is important to Luke's theological proposal in this gospel. It could be to show us Jesus' independence or to emphasize that God is Jesus' father and not Joseph. Mary says to preteen Jesus when they find him in the temple, your father and I have been searching for you with great anxiety. And preteen Jesus responds, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? Poor Joseph, that's got to hurt. Or maybe this is part of Luke building his thematic case for Jesus as the new high priest come to restore the true temple. He's in the temple for three days, just like the amount of time he's in the tomb, and he is sitting among the teachers, asking questions. And they are all astonished, sitting and studying with the rabbis for three days, asking questions, discussing, doing theology. Forget the baby. This is the kind of Messiah I can get behind. He is, I believe, participating in the secondary act of theological inquiry. I mean, I want to know, like, what is he into? What is he studying? What is he drilling down on with his teachers? Is he trying to figure out, like, his whole thing or just the whole redemption of Israel generally? It doesn't say. He leaves with his parents, and then we don't hear from him for another 21 years. When I was younger, I was a believer in this instant conversion, understanding of redemption, reconciliation, salvation, change. It was an on-off, black, white, then and now understanding. If I'm lost, I pray, I accept a particular interpretation, and I say the words and I'm changed instantly, made brand new, born again, like a newborn baby Jesus. That true change happens in an instant. But now, experience, and well, I guess some theological reflection has brought me to see a more transformational growth or the ongoing practice of understanding redemption, reconciliation, and salvation. Like, of course, the world didn't change the instant in that instant with the Incarnation. That's not the way this world works at all. When God entered the world, that little baby Jesus didn't come out of the wound with a magic wand waving it around and fixing the world in an instant. 
But God did come into the world, which I think is pretty interesting and has some pretty profound implications. I mean, just the notion that the Creator, God, would enter the world, live with their creation, to be among us and for us, that sparks a lot of questions. I guess it's more like the 12-year-old Jesus than the baby Jesus asking questions in the temple. There's nothing more hopeful to me than asking why and what does it mean? How could this be and where does it lead us? And pursuing the possible as a practice in a community compelled by these questions. So Mary Week after Christmas. This is God's table and all are welcome. On the night he was delivered over to death, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it and gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this and remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive its King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. may you go and walk in the mercy, believing in love. The peace of the Spirit sustain you. Amen.